0: Good day, and thank you for joining Downstate Abbey. I appreciate all of you taking time to listen in on concerns that truly do impact life on every level here in the state of New York that we love. I'm going to invite a guest to speak today about the ongoing issue with the nursing home and long-term residential care facility. Uh, population, for lack of a better term. These are people who, for whatever reason, whether it's elder care or whether it's having a health issue that renders them unable to live independently, are living in long-term care residential facilities. Many of the mandates that Governor Cuomo has put forth have been completely imbalanced and not compassionate on any level with regard to allowing people the dignity of seeing their loved ones. We have talked to families who for months at a time have been unable to see their loved ones. These loved ones have been robbed of the, in my opinion, autonomy over their own body to choose whether or not they see people from the outside world and potentially put themselves in contact with a virus that may or may not have a negative impact on their health. But the choice, in my opinion, should be theirs to make. We're seeing a real failure to thrive in many of the population members of these long-term care facilities. We're seeing an acceleration and deterioration, both mentally and physically, in these people's lives. And it's it's downright heartbreaking. We're seeing a real lack of response and real Consistency in putting forth necessary safeguards that keep everyone safe, but also do so in a way that's compassionate. And I'm going to be bringing someone onto the show today to talk. She was kind enough to share her perspective a couple of weeks ago. And in that time, there's been some new changes that have taken place on the state level that have changed some of the mandates. So I'm going to be giving our dear friend a call and she's going to share with just a few minutes that she has some of the changes and some of the ways that this is actually becoming even more challenging to navigate. So we'll wait for our dear friend to answer and hear from someone who's seeing this all firsthand. Uh, I was opening up to our listeners and just explaining that uh, we're kind of picking up where we left off and that you shared on our last segment um, just, how, just how horrible an impact this has been, this whole complete separation from family that so many of our nursing home residents are facing. Since then, my understanding is there's been some changes in the mandates. Would you be willing to speak on what those changes are and how they kind of flesh out in real life for the people involved, such as your family and your mother who is in a long-term care facility?
1: Yes, I will. Okay. Right now, I'm going in and out of service.
0: Okay. If we lose you, we'll, we'll find you. No worries.
1: Okay. So, um, right after I spoke to you last, the CMC, which is Federal Guidelines, had come out and eased the restrictions a lot. And we all got our hopes up high, thinking we would be able to now visit our loved ones indoors um, and be able to be, you know, up close with them with, of course, proper precautions and PPE on.
0: Certainly. And
1: we had our weekly meeting on Friday, which was just a few days after that, and we were told by the administrator of my mom's nursing home that Governor Cuomo and our state can supersede those guidelines, and they have decided to do that. They changed the guidelines for you can visit indoors or outdoors if the facility has a well-ventilated room where you can still be six feet apart and it can't be, you know, your loved one's room, of course, and it can't be the floor of your loved one's room. Then we found out that we have to have a negative COVID test within seven days of our visits, whether they're indoors or outdoors. Now, mind you, we have no state places around here that give the free COVID tests for someone like myself who is working, I'm going to have to take time off of work to go. I think the closest one might be Colony, because if not, um, I could go anywhere to the hospitals around here. But it's a minimum of $300, minimum charge of $300. And weekly, of course, that's going to add up. Mm. What I don't understand is why do we even have to have a COVID test? if we're continuing an outdoor visit with masks on at six feet apart, yeah. it, it defies everything it's, we've been taught by the experts. It certainly
0: does. It certainly does. And,
1: yes. Number one, we only need a mask if we can't maintain social distancing. Right. So <laughs> that, that makes no sense that we still need a mask at six feet apart. Mm. And now we have to prove that we're negative negative a negative test at COVID. And if we prove that we have a negative test, it still doesn't make sense because we still have to be six feet apart with a mask on and can't get close. So if if I'm taking a negative test and and a staffer is taking a test and come up negative, what's the difference between the staffer and the family? Why can't we put a mask on and get close? if we're proved that we
0: don't have COVID, it makes no sense. It doesn't make any sense. It just seems like there's more and more barriers being put up between people and their loved ones. And I, I'm just, exactly. I'm horrified by this. Exactly. And now, now, well, you know, this is probably the coldest September we've had in recent years. It went from like 90 to 45 degrees yep. seemingly overnight. So what's the plan, you know, really moving forward now? I, I, I cannot believe, I mean, I saw the picture of you having the visit with your mom after how many months? The visit where you were outside at the six-foot table, you were on one end, she was on the other. How yeah. how many that, months had it been since you saw her in person without a pane of glass between the two of you at that point?
1: That was almost six months since I six months. saw her, not through a window, exactly. Almost and, six months. <laughs> you know, not to even oh. sound grateful, but... but visiting her through a window at least i'm a little bit closer and, and we have telephones because my mom is a little bit hard of hearing so sure. at six feet apart when you have other stations five visits going on at the same time in the courtyard you're all shouting so the loved oh. ones can hear you with a mask what a disaster it, 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 yeah seriously
0: how ridiculous How incredibly ridiculous! And you have, and again, I'm not berating the staff because I know the staff is playing by these same rules, and probably a lot of them think that this is absolutely ridiculous too. But in seeing the picture of you and your mom, your mom's at one end of the table, you're at the other. You both have masks on, and you have a staff member there basically watching your whole visit so you don't hug your mom, right? Like, weren't you kind of? Exactly. So let me tell you, I I I I want to cry. Just
1: get up and hug my
0: mom. Yeah, yeah, yes. and I, I, I'm just horrified because I, I do plan to get a better understanding of what's going on in our prison system. But my understanding that has been that since I believe it was July, New York State resumed taking busloads of people from downstate communities. And again, I'm not berating anyone who has a loved one who is incarcerated. I'm not saying that. So hopefully people listening will you know have, have enough sense to see through what I'm saying to see that I'm absolutely right when I say we're taking people by busloads, hundreds of people from downstate communities where there was supposedly such a hotbed of contagion and we're taking them and we're shuttling them around the state so they can go to our various state prisons and visit inmates. Now what I've And been, hug
1: and kiss
0: them. And hug and kiss them. They're allowed a hug at the beginning at least and a hug at the end at least and there's not covid tests being done now i i am going to look into this further because the last thing i want to do is peddle false information but that this came from a very reliable source and somebody in our community who who is quite high up in law enforcement i read a post that he put on facebook recently and he is absolutely infuriated by this. Apparently, he has a loved one in long-term care, and he's he's making the correlation that we are treating our prisoners better than we're treating our elder population, and I've been saying that for weeks, if not months, as have you, and I'm getting really tired of it. These people deserve better than to be treated like caged animals in the latter years of their lives. Now, and again, I'm not in any way berating the staff of nursing home. I, I think that they are truly heroes. A lot of them have been working short-staffed. A lot of them you know, have been spread very thin or incredibly frustrated with these policies. But what, what sort of response is your group getting? I know you belong to um, Caregivers for Compromise. I know there's a number of other groups that are equally concerned about this. Is anyone responding or is this falling on deaf ears in your opinion?
1: Not one response falling on deaf ears. Fantastic! We are all beside oh us. my they're, God! They're literally <laughs> forgotten about. The governor hasn't hasn't talked about them. We we have tried assemblymen. We we've tried senators. Nobody will talk about it. it. It's I, I truly believe there's something bigger going on because we can't even get anybody to talk about it.
0: Uh, Yeah, this is disgusting. Something has got to break here because this is so wrong. And I've said before, you know, if you have a loved one in a facility, you know as well as I do that having a loved one... And ha- having family check up on them regularly is very important to patient care. A lot of things can go sideways in facilities when there isn't that lack of accountability, when family isn't coming in to visit, make sure things are going well, meds are being administered. Absolutely. And so that's what really concerns me is we have, you know, th- some, some staffers are better than others. Let's just be honest. Every Any job field you choose, there's going to be people who excel at their job and there's going to be mm-hmm. people who are at the bottom of the barrel who just show up and do the minimum. My My concern is patient care in these facilities dwindling because there isn't that accountability that knowing that, oh, well, the daughter comes in three times a week, you know, make sure make sure the laundry is there, make sure she has her teeth in, make sure. I mean, I'm sorry to say it, but the reality is just that there's facilities that I think can completely allow patient care to go by the wayside, even if it's unintentionally, but because of being so shorthanded. And that's really a huge concern, too. There's no one able to advocate for these people. And I am beyond disgusted with this. So I I don't know what it's going to take for people to pay attention. But what's your, what's, and if you have to go, you just let me know. I know, I know we're short on time today. um, So you just say the word and I can wrap it up. But what's your take on administration at these nursing homes? The one in particular that your mom is at, because my impression, and correct me if I'm wrong, but just seems like there's a lot of fear tactics like these, these facilities are afraid they're afraid their license is going to get pulled if they if they violate any of these ridiculous mandates is there any sort of threat to you as like say you actually were to approach your mom and hug her that day at a visit what would the ramification have been would you have been like not able to visit her moving forward or it just it seems like there's a lot of fear there's a lot of bullying into submission of these ridiculous mandates what is your take you know on based on your experience
1: well, I, I when visitation first had started a month ago, we were told, you know, if we if we, you know, didn't comply because they have to they have to comply comply in order to keep their license that they would have to revisit the visitation guidelines, and we wouldn't want you know one person wouldn't want to have to stop everybody from from being able to visit. And so the threat of
0: I'm just going to pause there. So the threat of stopping visits altogether, not only for you, but for everyone, if someone steps out of line
1: because they don't want their license taken away. Right. Correct. Right. Correct. So so (laughs) basically Uh. a month later from when visitation had outdoor visitation first started a month later when supposedly we're doing even better with the virus. Our governor has made it harder, harder to see them now. Yes, I said. Less than one percent. weren't we at? A,
0: weren't we at a less than one? Right. We were at like less than one percent, correct? And these these correct. mandates kicked in again. And my my question all all along has been, why can't people? simply sign a waiver say i'd like to see my family i understand that we're at a time where there's a novel virus i'm i you know am willing to completely release the facility release the state of any you know any liability if i were to contract anything as a result of seeing my family why can't something that common sense be put in place and give people the dignity of their own choices
1: basically why can't they have rights is what you're well, saying yeah exactly. human rights they imagine have no yeah rights. exactly we're, you know we're told they highly discourage it but they can't stop us from taking our loved one out of the facility for a day or whatever but they would have to be quarantined for 14 days now my mom has the onset of dementia so for me to take her out of her room because she doesn't have a private room she would have to go into a different hall in a different room with a different setting with different staff it wouldn't it wouldn't be worth it it would confuse her and make her cry even more it just wouldn't Ugh. be worth it
0: just to be able to take her out just to be able exactly. to take her out exactly. but yeah to bring this... her for a
1: haircut to bring her Ugh. to go get ice cream to, to, to come to my house and see her family she would end up having to be quarantined for 14 days correct.
0: And correct me correct. if I'm wrong, I'm not trying to divulge too much information here, but your mother did test positive at one point, but was completely asymptomatic, correct? Completely. And, and asymptomatic. I, I think you shared her and her that. Roommate,
1: at the very beginning of the virus, her and her roommate both tested asymptomatic, so they had to go to acute rehab until they, until the 14 days were over and they had two negative tests.
0: And everybody
1: else, every other roadblock of why we couldn't have any kind of outdoor visitation has been staff members that have tested positive.
0: Interesting. And my, my question, too, is, uh, you know, you hear about incorrect, you hear about test results that are not accurate, and that's a very big concern, in my opinion, too. Exactly. And um, this,
1: in this taking, taking the test, and the test has to be seven days before your visitation, mm. again, that's absurd because I could go get tested on a Saturday my results could come back Thursday, come back negative, but but Wednesday, I, I, I could come into contact. It's just there's just no rhyme or reason. No, there to, to there these truly
0: isn't. There truly isn't. It is just it heartbreaking. Makes, yeah, it
1: makes no sense. But it, I do. I, I thank you for your time, but I do have to go. Yep, I
0: understand. Thank you for your but insight. I, where thank I thank you. I, yes, you take good care, my dear.
1: And keep fighting.
0: You too, sweetheart. Thank you. <laughs> bye bye. Yeah, so so there you, you hear it, folks. Now, that's somebody who is talking about her elderly mother. You know, this is the mother who raised her. This is a woman who was a vibrant part of our community for decades. And this, this is her treatment at the what is obviously the latter stage of her life. She obviously has more time before her than ahead of her. Why, why is this population being completely victimized by these policies that, A, completely contradict science? Honestly, they do find scientific basis that supports this sort of social isolation, this sort of really just ridiculous implementation. If the distance if the distancing works, why the mask? If the masks work, why the distancing? If either one of them work, why do people have to get tested and then engage in both in both parameters, both staying six feet away and wearing a mask even if you test negative like it just, This is insanity that these people are being expected to live within, and it's heartbreaking. And now let's back this up to March. And what would have made sense out of all of this is to have had the mandate that Cuomo and Zuckerhead, as I like to refer to him affectionately, put forth stating that if someone was COVID-19 positive, the nursing home had to admit them. How on what planet does that make sense? Nursing home has somebody that wants to be admitted. They're sick. They test positive for COVID nineteen, and Cuomo puts forth a mandate, a directive, stating, and you can go back and you can listen to the the press conference where he says arrogantly, "Nursing homes don't get to pick and choose who they admit and who they don't admit." Go back, look for it. It's there. It's there. So he made it so these nursing homes had to admit people who were knowingly COVID-19 positive instead of seeing that they went to a hospital, finished recovering there, were, were in the kind of isolation that a situation like this would warrant to keep themselves safe and keep this from spreading like, quote, wildfire, end quote, words of Governor Andrew Cuomo. I mean, that's why we were all locked up in our houses, because we thought that if somebody was vulnerable, we, we don't want to be the reason somebody gets sick. Shut everything down. Shut the schools down. Shut your business down. Don't leave your house unless it's for the essentials. And then he pulls a stunt like this. And then seven months later, you've got people, after we're below 1% infection rate, like you've got people basically still on lockdown, elderly people who are deteriorating by the day, by the week, because they can't see loved ones. Many of them are confused. This is absolutely cruel. This is absolutely cruel to rob people of the dignity of making their own decisions. And I've been told, too, that even usually a facility has a hairdresser that comes in, takes care of the client's grooming needs. I've been told by a number of people who have loved ones in nursing homes, they're not allowed to come in. Now, you could have someone who is willing to do a COVID test. This is what they do for a living. If people who own salons had to do COVID tests, I think it was once every two weeks in order to reopen? Why can't someone who makes a living providing the service of grooming for the elderly population in nursing homes do a COVID test, come in and and do the haircuts? Instead, you know, like our friend Becky said in the last podcast, you know, prior to this one, she said she's caught glimpses of people through the window when she's visiting her mom through a window and they look like a total shell of themselves. They're disheveled. They're, you know, the one thing that people often take pride in, especially at that stage of life, is being able to stay well-kept, groomed, you know, fresh perm, fresh haircut. Why are we treating, our, you know, our most precious resource humanity like this really it's absolutely cruel point to the science that that states that this is the proper way to handle a situation like this it's not it's completely counterintuitive to say you can't go within 6 feet of your mother and you have to wear a mask and you have to go get a covid test And even if it comes back negative, you still have to stay six feet away from her. You still have to keep a mask on, and you can't hug her. You have a governor who's telling people they can't hug their elderly parents. Yeah, let that sink in for a second. You can't hug your elderly parents. And here's my segue into what I'm going to try to remind all of you of. Keep in mind... People can't hug their elderly parents who are in nursing homes because of Governor Andrew Cuomo's directives. And there's a threat of shutting down facilities. So the facility lays the hammer down on the families and says, listen, don't do anything to screw this up for us. Because if you do, nobody's going to be able to visit their loved ones. I mean, that's that's what's happening here. These fear, thug life, mafioso tactics of threatening people. You can't hug your mother. Really? Really, Andrew Cuomo? Really? Has Matilda gotten any hugs in the past seven months? I hope she has. But you're, you're robbing people of the dignity of their own choices, the, the honor of being able to spend some of their last months, days, years, whatever, with their loved ones. This is disgusting. And now let's reveal a little bit more of what's going on under Governor Andrew Cuomo's directive. If you all remember correctly, the bail reform okay, was birthed in the underworld, as far as I'm concerned, came onto the scene January 1st, 2020. We have a hot mess on our hands, okay? We have situations playing out in which people who should be behind bars for a number of reasons, including not being a threat to their own safety or that of others, are being let loose. Anybody hear about the derailing of a New York City subway recently? Anybody? Demetrius Harvard, okay? Okay. This, this gentleman, <clears throat> he's accused of derailing a Manhattan subway train by tossing metal construction debris onto the tracks on Sunday, this past Sunday. He was released without bail on a prior case, outraging one victim's husband. Yeah, she has every reason to be outraged. Okay, uh... <laughs> She, referring to the victim, is very scared and has a heart problem. That's what this husband has to say about his wife, who was treated for minor injuries after the subway car veered off the tracks and sideswiped at least 10 beams. Can you imagine the the bloodshed, the mayhem that could have ensued? Now, let me back you up to March, and go ahead and look it up yourself. Blanchard Glauden was an individual who, you know what, I might be mistaking him for the person that killed Sandra Wilson, and I apologize. I'm going to retract that name because I do not remember for certain if that's the accurate name of the individual who was released because of bail reform and days later went on to start a fire in the Harlem subway system that was intended to burn every passenger in that subway alive one Sunday morning. Everyone made it out of that because of the heroism of a young man, Garrett Goebel, who died that day because he made sure all of his passengers got out. He didn't make it home to his wife. He didn't make it home to his two sons that day because of Andrew Cuomo's bail reform. Did we hear his name ever, ever pass the lips of Andrew Cuomo? No, we didn't. Garrett Goebel is a hero. Garrett Goebel should be among us. Garrett Goebel should have been able to celebrate Father's Day this year. Garrett Goebel should have been able to celebrate his anniversary this year. Garrett Goebel should be able to watch his sons grow into fine young men, just like he was a fine young man. But he didn't. His life got robbed of him because of these horrible policies. So keep that in mind, and let's go to September now when we have another person intentionally derailing a New York City Subway, Can you imagine what could have played out? Okay, and this is what the husband of one of the victims is saying. Listen to him. If you're not willing to listen to me and everyone else who's trying to scream from the rooftops that we have a total degenerate running our state, listen to this guy. This is a guy who almost lost his wife to an uh, an accident that was created by someone who should have been in custody, by somebody who law enforcement probably worked hard to bring to justice. And then Andrew Cuomo says, oh, you got to let him loose. This is social justice, Cuomo style, let him loose. So this husband of this victim says it's craziness. This guy was arrested for this kind of thing weeks ago. He should have stayed inside. He is dangerous to society. Does that sound familiar at all? I mean, I've been saying it. Many other people have been saying it. These people who have a propensity toward causing carnage and have an insatiable thirst for killing people and causing mayhem need to be in custody. If they're having a mental health crisis, it's incredibly cruel to just let them loose. If they're having an addiction-fueled spree of crime, it's cruel to just let them loose. If they're just plain evilly bent in their heart of hearts, it is just plain cruel to let them loose. But we are. We are not. We are Cuomo is de Blasio is Demetrius Harvard 30 had allegedly chucked the metal onto the tracks at West 15th Street and they have as an uptown a train pulled into the station at about 8:20 a.m. Don't tell me nobody caught that on surveillance footage. So I think that allegedly if you've got if you've got a video showing somebody doing it, that should really shorten up the trial process a little bit. Don't you think? Right there. Oh, there he is, chucking metal on the subway tracks. I mean, really? What more do we need to know? Allegedly. Oh, okay. Allegedly, yes. Innocent until proven guilty. Okay, but there he is on video throwing metal on a track. Anyways, this has me so frightened for my wife on the trains, this gentleman says, with regard to almost losing his wife to this This insanity, it should have never happened. I'm worried when she's on the subways now. We're all taking the subway. We all still have to work. Yeah, yeah, there's whole segments of the population that are essential. Somebody remind Andrew Cuomo that there's a whole bunch of people keeping this all going. All right, all of the essential work that has to happen. These people rely on the subways. The subways are being targeted by people that he's intentionally letting out. This is disgusting. Harvard was hauled before a Manhattan criminal court judge on September 5th and arraigned on one count of misdemeanor criminal mischief for allegedly striking an MTA bus with a metal street barricade shattering two windows. Imagine that. You're riding on an MTA bus and some guy grabs a metal street barricade. He may or may not have been there because of you know, rioting, looting. I don't know why the street was barricaded. There's a lot of reasons for there to be metal street barricades, but none of them involve throwing them through MTA bus windows. But that's what he did. Shattered two windows. I don't know if anybody was hurt in that or not, but, you know, that's, to me, that's reason to keep somebody in custody. I mean, you've obviously got some sort of ish going on if you're willing to take a metal barricade and bash it through a window with no regard to hurting the people inside. I don't know. Manhattan prosecutors didn't ask for bail, and Harvard was granted supervised release. How's that going? What are we up to, 3,500 parolees now that we can't keep track of in New York? And that was pre-COVID. That was pre-bail reform. Come on. Even though he had an open bench warrant for failing to show up to court on a March first, 2019 case for threatening to boost store staffers. So he allegedly cursed at the employees while erratically swinging a three-foot-long metal pipe and banging it against the floor, according to a criminal complaint. The guy has a fetish for metal, apparently. We like to swing metal around. We like to cause mayhem with metal, apparently. After exiting the store, Harvard allegedly picked up a metal trash can. I can't make this up, Jeff. (laughs) Help me here. (laughs) Metal trash can and tossed it at the store sign, breaking it. He was charged with menacing, criminal mischief, harassment, possession of a weapon. The judge released him without bail. Despite prosecutors requesting $1,000 in bail, court records show, yeah, there's some degenerate judges sitting on benches, too. So let's not get that twisted. You know what? If. If the safety of our communities is dependent on whether or not, you know, a judge has been paid off by the right groups of people or just has some sort of a bend toward freeing people and watching them hurt others, that's a judge that really doesn't belong on the bench, in my opinion. Under the new bail reform rollbacks, Manhattan prosecutors could have lobbied for bail when Harvard was arraigned on the September 5th case, even though the charge by itself isn't bail eligible, according to defense lawyer Mark Bedereau. Yeah, you remember when... uh, People were trying to tell us, that, oh, yeah, there were some significant bail reform rollbacks that were included in the budget on April 1st. Yeah, they weren't significant at all. They were kind of an insult, actually, to take something that's such a steaming pile of evil and just skim a, a little, you know, flick a couple flies off the top of it and say, you've reformed it. Give me a break. That's the equivalent of what these rollbacks were. They're ridiculous, and it's an insult to humanity to keep anything like this enacted as a law in our state. Ridiculous insult, evil, all of the above. Horrible, horrible legislation, compliments of Andrew Cuomo. So at least in this case, by not seeking bail, it appears as though the DA has given the defendant a break, Betterot said. Yeah, there's somebody who, in my opinion, sorry, bettero you should find something else to do for a living if you think that giving somebody like this a break is, is giving is any service to this individual or society as a whole. Yeah, go do something else for a living please before you cause any more damage. Harvard had the two open criminal cases when he sabotaged Sunday's train, injuring three of the 135 passengers on board and causing massive transit system delays. He's awaiting arraignment in Manhattan Criminal Court. The DA's office didn't immediately return a request for comment. Oh, that's nice. So 135 passengers and this guy has every intention of completely derailing this subway. Okay, this is this is unbelievable. Look it up yourself, Demetrius Harvard. You know what? This guy is a sacred human being. I don't know what his background was. My heart breaks for whatever's going on in his life that makes him have this bend toward heavy metal mayhem. I'm sorry. I don't know who hurt you, and I'm sorry, but here's the deal. We owe it to our our communities to protect each other from this sort of victimization. Can you imagine what could have happened? Now, I don't know the extent of the injuries of the three people that got hurt, and it's a miracle, honestly, that more weren't injured and that nobody was killed. You're talking about, a subway you know being going off the rails like and then to think about the what ensued after that the massive delay in transportation if people are in an emergency situation or need to get somewhere just look at the collateral damage of stuff like this happening on the daily in new york and you know what we're not hearing about a lot of it if this is the first time you're hearing about this proves my point completely. The, the major news outlets don't want you knowing about this. I'm going to go back to a September 19th article, uh, and this talks about, excuse me while I double-check the, you know, I'll have a link to, to these articles that I'm referencing in this podcast at the Downstate Abbey Facebook page. This is another major, major piece of the criticism of bail reform Those of us who are vehemently opposed to it because we think this is a cob job sad, pathetic excuse for reform. We can do better than this for inmates. We can do better than this for our communities. One of the significant criticisms, rightfully so, is victim intimidation. When people know that if they go to the police, the perpetrator of whatever crime they're a victim of or they know someone else was a victim of is more than likely going to get processed, handed an appearance ticket for a court date that may or may not happen anytime in the next month or two months, what do you think people are likely to do? They're likely to shut up, turn the other, turn the, just look away. You saw nothing. And that's where crime has a total breeding ground. People are afraid to go to the authorities because they're afraid of the retaliation that could possibly happen when somebody is processed and then is put right back out on the street. Okay. Early morning hours of July 5th, Stefan Johnson was shot in the back on 116th Street near Morningside Park. Even as his life slipped away at Mount Sinai Morningside, the East Harlem resident refused to help police catch his killer. The NYPD said he was not he was uncooperative. The twenty, I could cry reading this. The 23-year-old died less than a half hour after the 2:40 a.m. shooting. With little to go on, with little to go on, investigators canvassed the area for ballistic evidence and video. The case remains unsolved. On July 31st, an 18-year-old man was shot in the stomach at North Elliot Place in Park Ave near the Brooklyn Navy Yard at around 1:10 a.m. Cops described him as highly uncooperative. August 9th, 18 year old shot in the left shoulder, East 141st Street near Willis Ave in Mott Haven at 10:30 p.m. One of 16 victims in 12 shootings across the city that single Sunday. Let that sink in. 12 shootings. One of 16 victims. The circumstances of the shooting were unclear, and if the teen knew something he wasn't talking about, a cop said. Early September 2nd, 24-year-old man walked into St. Luke's Hospital with a gunshot wound to his left thigh, sources said. He told police he was at the Grant Houses in Manhattan when he heard shots, realized he'd been hit. Sources called him highly uncooperative. With shootings in the city up 87% this year and murder mushrooming by 34%, the New York Police Department needs cooperating witnesses more than ever. Yeah, well, they need more bodies, too, but tell that to de Blasio, okay, because he took, like, 600 plainclothes officers off the beat. Yeah, That's really helpful. But they are coming up against a wall of stony silence, and cops and prosecutors point to myriad reasons. Anti-crime units were mothballed on June 15th as Black Lives Matter and defund the police movements gained strength following the May 25th death of George Floyd at the hands of Minneapolis police. That's just the timeline. That's not me pointing to anything. It's just the timeline of it was such that this whole... This whole erosion of the police force in New York City, there's a certain timeline that that really began to gain traction, and that's that's how it went down. The New York Police Department's unit was known for getting guns off the streets, often with the help of street-level information and informants. You take 600 of those plainclothes officers off the streets, what do you think happens? Really? Whether you like anti-crime teams or not, they often help develop intel from prisoner debriefings and informants, said Joseph Giacalone, a retired New York Police Department sergeant and professor at John Jay College of Criminal Justice. The loss of that intel will be resounding. Then there's the rising tidal wave of gang violence, where scores are settled on the streets, not in the court of law. Gangbangers rarely talk. It's a challenging time, said New York PD spokesman Al Baker. There's an anti-snitch culture that's taken root amid a level of violence that makes people reluctant to cooperate with our investigators. Experts say recently enacted laws that endanger witnesses are not helping matters. Okay, if you won't listen to me, listen to Sergeant Joseph Imperatrice, founder of Blue Lives Matter New York City. He says the New York State Bail Reform Act has royally screwed up policing. Witnesses and confidential informants have little to no protection in regards to the new discovery rules old school policing where off good officers would meet with people on the street, gain information has dwindled. Many witnesses know that their personal information will be available and possibly get out to the defense team. Does everyone know that piece of the bail reform where if you're a victim of a crime, say you get raped in your apartment and you you know i mean you know who this person is you can identify them you went to the police you said hey this this horrible horrible thing happened to me you know imagine the trauma of a surviving that b having the courage to go to the police start this whole process of trying to bring someone to justice to perhaps prevent this from happening to someone in the future the piece of this bail reform that's disturbing is the fact that now that perp and whoever his defense attorney team is can come back to your apartment, can treat it like a crime scene, can go through and let you know process the process the room like any other crime scene and try to you know basically dismantle anything that you're saying with, with regard to accusing this person of raping you. Now, I understand there's reasons to have certain policies in place where people are able to access crime scenes. I get that. I get that there's people who accuse... Others of horrible, horrible things. And trust me when I say it makes me sick, and I think there needs to be some special, some special penalties in place for someone who uh, falsely, knowingly falsely accuses someone. But there's a lot about this policy that's very, very, very troubling. And a lot of it is the fact that people know. If you're going to be in a, an informant and say, hey, yeah, I saw this person blow that guy's head off at 1.30 a.m. on the corner of you know, Willis and Mott, whatever, There's a very good chance that the person you're accusing of that is going to know your personal information with this bail reform. You think you're going to open your mouth when when you know know there's a kid getting raped in an apartment next to you? You think you're going to go to the cops when you know that the person raping that child is more than likely going to get let loose and is more than likely going to know that it's you that turned him in? What do you think this does to our communities? On a real gut level, what do you think this does to our communities? Under the new rules, prosecutors must give defense counsel the name and contact information of anyone with information relevant to a case within 15 days of arraignment, regardless of whether the person will testify at trial. (sighs) One seasoned Brooklyn detective said the new discovery rules have a lot to do with cops being stonewalled. Witnesses ask if the shooter will get their name, and they are told... Probably yes. So imagine witnessing something horrible happen. You're willing to talk about what you saw. You ask the cops. You listen, are are you going to give my name out if I say anything? Probably yes. If they're going to be honest with you, probably yes. He said he used to have cooperating witnesses in about 75% of cases. Now I'd say we get witnesses in less than half of the cases. People, it's you got to wake up if you're not woke already. I'm telling you, this is bad. We've got you know little kids getting getting killed right up here in Troy, New York. Ishawn Davis, 11 years old, last week gone, executed on his front porch. You know, a woman in Schenectady executed a couple months ago, front porch. There's there's multiple shootings that are happening that you know they're just kind of lumped into the report for the weekend, whether it's Albany, Troy, Brooklyn, Bronx. This is a disaster. This is an absolute disaster. If you don't know what's going on, I beg of you, get informed. Learn the 200 crimes under the bail reform that Governor Cuomo deems as appropriate to give appearance tickets to the perpetrators of. Learn about the COVID-19 jailbreak. I am working very hard to find people within the corrections officer community who are willing to talk about what they're seeing willing to talk about the kind of inmates that are being let loose. We know convicted child rapists are being let loose. We know murderers are being let loose. There isn't a lot of transparency on a state level as to how many and exactly who they are. These defendants stood in a court of law as them versus the people of the state of New York. Governor Cuomo likes to keep the people of the state of New York completely in the dark with regard to the people he is directing to be released. If Governor Cuomo can have a press conference on the daily about COVID-19, Governor Cuomo can have a press conference on the daily as to what inmates he's letting loose, as to what policies he's implementing that put your kids and my kids, myself and yourself in grave, grave danger. But he doesn't. He chooses not to. If Governor Cuomo can send me a daily email with updates on COVID-19 ever upward, He can send me emails about what perverts he's let loose in my community and your community. People are getting re-victimized by perps who should be incarcerated for reasons that are painfully obvious. They're a threat to themselves. They're a threat to others. So until we have state governance that understands that we need to bridge the gap between mental health crises and criminal activity and between the addiction epidemic and incarceration. We're fighting a losing battle. Instead, what we have is state leadership that is on the fast track to empty our prisons, destroy our communities, and I can't, for the love of God, figure out what the end goal is other than completely destroying this state and everyone in it. If you can come up with a better plan or reason for this absolute insanity that's playing out, I beg of you, let me know, because I would love to know, Governor Cuomo, what, what you envision for New York with these horrible, horrible policies in place. You've stripped us of public education. You've decimated our economies. You're driving working families out of here faster than the plagues. There's no end in sight. You're emptying our prisons. You're taking a soft hand to the issue of pedophilia and child sex trafficking when we should be putting firmer parameters in place, and I'm asking you to explain yourself. On behalf of millions of other New Yorkers, explain yourself, Andrew Cuomo. Because you're going to stand before an almighty God someday who's going to ask you why you let people loose that harm children. He's going to ask you why you perpetuated the cycle of trauma that's fueling most of the addiction we see and the decimation we see in our communities as a result of the drug addiction epidemic that we're facing. If you're that out of touch with real life because you were born into political privilege and you're an elitist, then you need to step off and find something else to do for a living because somebody else could do a far better job than you are. I love you, state of New York. Please do not take this just lying down. You have to get up, you have to fight, and you have to speak about what's going on. The average person truly doesn't know. And it's horrifying. We're in the age of electronics. I could send a message in split seconds to thousands of people. Why is this information not known by every single person in this state? We owe it to ourselves and our children to do better than this. I love you all. Do something amazing today. Keep in touch.